Morning, Moraine Valley. Good morning to the people of promise. That's the name of our series. And thank you, worship team. I hope the message comes close to the worship. God's holiness and his faithfulness we sung about. I was thinking as we sung that, that what if God were only holy, but not faithful to his promises for his people? (laughs) That would not be pretty. So let me start with a story. When I was dating as a younger man, I was dating this beautiful woman. And uh, after about a year of dating her, um, I decided to propose to her and ask her to enter into the covenant of marriage with me. Now, that's a story in itself, uh, but I'll tell you this much of it. Her response was, I'll get back to you. (laughs) Very romantic. (laughs) So now, we've been married 50 years come January, and (laughs) Now, I know some of you are doing the math in your head. My wife was eight when I proposed to her, so just so you know that. Um, But when I proposed to her, I knew very little about the covenant of marriage. I really thought that you fell in love, you got married, and life was perfect from there. Ah, that was my idea of a covenant marriage. And my wife's wasn't much different, and you know why, she was only eight. Um, But now, 50 years later, we understand a lot more about the covenant of marriage what is required of us, what God says about the covenant of marriage. And we learn that along the way. And I think that's a picture, maybe a poor one, but a picture of why God has given us all these different covenants. He started with the Abrahamic covenant, but then he kept adding covenants. Why did he do that? Well, part of the reason is that he was giving more detail to the nation of Israel about what this Abrahamic covenant would look like. And so we're going to take a look at the new covenant this morning. And Israel was God's chosen nation. And in the New Testament, it reveals to us that we as the church are his chosen people. Here's what Peter says about us. We're a chosen race. Israel was a chosen nation. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. God given us a job to do, to mediate, to tell others about Jesus Christ. He calls us a holy nation, a separate people, unique among people, and a people for God's own possession. So we, too, are people of promise. And two things have stood out to me as we've gone through this series on the covenants, and we've sung about them this morning. 
The first is God's faithfulness. We see over and over again God's faithfulness to his covenant, to his people. He was even faithful to the difficult parts of the Mosaic Covenant. He disciplined Israel when they sinned. And so he was faithful what he, to what he had told them. And he's going to be faithful to the end. When Jesus comes back, he's going to bless Israel with a land, with blessings that are indescribable. And so God's faithfulness has been a key that's run through this series. The other thing is God's loving kindness. The whole program of covenant was to bless his people spiritually and physically. He desired them to live a full life. He wanted them to be a special people and he allowed them through the covenants to enjoy a deep relationship with him even though he was a holy God and Israel was a sinful people. One of the reoccurring promises God gave to his people was he would be their God and they would be his people. This morning we're going to look at the new covenant. It's the last covenant. It's the best covenant. And I want to tell you what I want to talk about this morning, give you the outline. We're going to take a quick look at the relationship between the New Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant. We're going to take a quick look at the relationship between the New Covenant and the Mosaic Covenant. Then we're going to look at the terms of the Covenant, of the New Covenant. And then we're going to look at the timeline of the New Covenant. When does it work out? And then we're going to look at a question that's probably been going through your minds through the whole thing is, how does the church play into the covenant program? How do we fit in? And then we're going to look at applications for us. So what? Does it make a difference? Or is it just more theology to put in my head? So, the new covenant relationship with the Abrahamic. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant was an everlasting covenant. So why a new covenant if the Abrahamic was everlasting? The new covenant is the vehicle that God is going to use to bring about the Abrahamic covenant. Both are everlasting covenants and both are unconditional covenants. The new covenant is going to develop the five aspects of the Abrahamic covenant. Remember what they were? The land, the seed, a nation, people, blessing. God was going to bless the nation Israel. In your seed, in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And finally, God will be their God. So we're going to see as we go through the terms of the new covenant how it plays into the Abrahamic covenant. The new covenant 
in relationship to the old. The old covenant was conditional. It depended on the people's response to God's laws. I will bless you if you obey them. I will curse you if you disobey them. And if you repent, I will bless you again. The old covenant revealed God's standard of living that was expected from Israel. Remember, they were a chosen nation. They were different than the rest of the world. They were a holy nation, separate from every other nation. And so God gave them these rules, these commandments, these statutes to allow them to know how they should live. It also revealed sin in a person's life and in a nation's life. And so God set up a sacrificial system to take care of the people and the nation when they sin. What the old covenant could not do, it could not produce righteousness. Pete, can you put up Hebrews 10? For the law, since it's only a shadow of good things to come, the law is going to lead people to the reality of Jesus Christ. It's only a shadow. It's not the very form of things. Why not? By the same sacrifices which they offer year after year will make perfect, will make righteous those who draw near. So the old covenant could tell us what to do, but couldn't help us do it. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrifices that Israel did year after year after year reminded them of their sin. It did not take away their sin. So, turn with me to Ezekiel 36. We're going to look at the terms of the new covenant. This was uh, given to the prophet Ezekiel, who's in exile with Israel in Babylon. Much of the book of Ezekiel talks about the fall of Jerusalem, maybe the lowest point in Israel's history. Much of the book is about the judgment of Israel and the nation surrounding Israel. But in the midst of all that, God's going to give them the proclamation of the new covenant. We're going to look through five aspects of the new covenant. And I want you to do two things as we're reading through this. Look for the word I. We said that this new covenant is unconditional. It's all about God and what God 
does. And you're going to say, see over and over again, I will, I will, I will. The other thing, I want you to get some context around this chapter, or around this new covenant within the chapter. This context is about the holiness of God. Look at, uh, if you're in Ezekiel 36, verse 20. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name. Because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord. The nation knew, the nations around Israel knew that this was God's chosen people. But they profaned his holy name. Because this is the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. They've come out of the land that God gave them. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, that I'm about to give you this new covenant, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Um, down in verse 32, he says, I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O Israel. So the context of the new covenant is about the name and the holiness of God. He's going to produce in his people through the new covenant a way that they can be holy and not profane the name of God. So, first part of the new covenant, verse 24. For I... I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. I want you to notice here, he's bringing them from all the lands. He's not just bringing them from Babylon. That's where they're in exile when this was written. This is looking forward when Jesus comes back, and they're going to bring Israel from all the nations into Israel. Verse 28, you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. Looks back to the Abrahamic covenant when the land was laid out. I'm going to bring you back to that land. We said the new covenant is the vehicle that God uses to bring about the Abrahamic. 
Look down in uh, verse 29, the second half of that verse. I will call for the grain and multiply it. I will call for the grain and multiply it. Uh, I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. So God's going to bless Israel in this land. He goes on to talk about it in verse 34. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes through. This desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden, paradise restored. God is going to do amazing things in the land. And it's interesting that God in the new covenant begins and ends with the land. I would have thought he would have had the bookends, the spiritual part of the new covenant. But no, he brings them to the land. That's what they're looking for, is a land of their own. Second part, look at verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. God's going to bring forgiveness of sin to Israel. Remember, this covenant is unconditional. This is a promise that God's making, irregardless of the people. I'm going to cleanse you. Verse 33, he says it again. On that day, that I cleanse you from all your iniquities. And then he says some of the things, I'll cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. Forgiveness comes. That's part of the blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. Not only are they going to get a land, but he's going to bless them in that land. God's extending forgiveness to the nation Israel. Look at verse 31. After he extends forgiveness, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abomination. The grace of God, the forgiveness of sins is going to lead Israel to repentance. We know from Romans 2 that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's not we wake up one day and decide we're going to repent. It's a response to the grace of God. Uh, Pat shared this a couple weeks ago, Zachariah, Zechariah 12. Can you put that up, Pete? The response to grace of Israel. 
I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me, on Jesus, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of somebody in the plain I'm a plane of somewhere else. <laughs> this is at the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. The nation is going to repent, the whole nation, not just individuals. Third part of the terms of the covenant, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I'm going to skip a section. We'll come back to it. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of stone. A heart that cannot respond to God. And they're going to give him a heart of flesh a heart that can respond to what God speaks to them about, to the promptings of God. When Bonnie and I were dating, we dated about a year before that proposal. <laughs> and uh, in that year, um, we were not saved. And I think that for that year, we never even mentioned the word God in our relationship. Never came up, never discussed, didn't care about what God said, lived the way we wanted to live. That's a heart of stone. The day my wife came to know the Lord was about a three-hour period sitting with my brother Craig who had shared the gospel with us and in that three hours, she asked all these questions about God, about what his word said about sin, what his word said about redemption. And she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that day. Scared me into salvation. Because I couldn't believe a person could change that radically in three hours' time. That was the heart of flesh that God had given to her at salvation. God's promising a new heart here in the new covenant. Pat took us to this first couple of weeks ago in Deuteronomy. This is when um, the people told Moses to go up and get the instructions from God. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you. And we will hear it and we'll do it. That was the response of the people. The Lord, Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. 
And the Lord said to me, I've heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well. It is good. All that they have spoken, they're going to do, right? Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. See, the Israelites had a desire to obey God. But they didn't have the heart to carry it out. They were not able, they were incapable of carrying out the commands of the Lord. They had a heart problem. The new covenant deals with it. He's going to give Israel a new heart, a flesh heart, a soft heart that can respond to God. The old covenant was external. Told us what to do, but didn't give us the power to do it. The new covenant starts on the inside out. It empowers us. It allows us to have a responsive heart. I had to laugh when they put up 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It was in my message here. I didn't know they were going to have it out. But if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, right? He has a new heart. That's why he's a new creature. He's made over, made new on the inside. Fourth part of this new covenant. Verse 26. We read the first part. I will give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit in, within you. So God's going to give them a spirit. A new spirit. The core of their being. But he's not just giving them a new spirit. Look at the next verse. 27. I will put my spirit within you. God's going to give him his Holy Spirit. Remember Israel's history? God lived in a tent, right? Called a tabernacle. Then he moved to the temple. The new covenant, he's going to dwell within them. He's not only going to give them a new heart that's responsive, but now he's going to put his Holy Spirit within them. If the new heart was a game changer, this is a game changer on steroids. Verse 27 describes, so the Holy Spirit's within me. What's that do for me, right? We're going to be told that. In verse 27, it says, I will put my Holy Spirit in you and cause you, cause you to walk in my statutes. Think about that. God is going to cause us to walk in his ways. He's going to empower us to be able to do something that Israel could not do in this new covenant. 
It amazes me when I think about a holy God and then he's going to dwell in me, an unholy person. But it's because now he's going to enable me to live a holy life. He's going to go cause me to obey. It also says, not only will I cause you to walk in my statutes, you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Careful means to guard against. We're going to be careful with God's word, with God's commands. You know, sometimes it might come through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and my sin in my life. Maybe it will come through God bringing his word to me that I'm in a situation and I need a particular word from God. And he gives me that. But God's going to give us a spirit that makes us a careful people. I'm now going to worry about sin and disobeying God. Not like when I was dating my wife before we got saved, we could have cared less what God said. Well, the first time my brother Craig brought the gospel to us, our response was, don't bring us that stuff. We just want to party. That was our response to the gospel. And yet God in his grace brought it back to us. Amazing. So in Deuteronomy 5, we find out they didn't have the heart. Now God gives them a heart. He gives them the spirit to empower them to be careful. He enables his people to live the holy life that allows them to have an intimate relationship with a holy God. We know from the New Testament, specifically in John 16, that the Spirit guides us to truth, reveals truth to us, opens up God's commands and scriptures to us so we can understand them, and then he empowers us to keep them. We said the Mosaic law was conditional, but it also had an expiration date. The Mosaic law, the old covenant, was only there until Jesus came on the scene. Hebrews 8 tells us this. The first covenant, talking about the Mosaic, if it had been faultless, there'd be no need for a second covenant. He goes on to say that the new covenant has made the first one obsolete. No more need for the old covenant because Jesus ratified the new covenant and promised to send his Holy Spirit. And so, the new covenant 
is this incredible gift from God for his people that they might be that unique, holy, separate people. Fifth part, verse 28. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Part of the Abrahamic covenant. But it's also the heart of the whole covenant program. God wanted a special, intimate relationship with people. And he chose Israel to be that special people. And he's chose us in the New Testament to be that special people. To be able to have intimacy with God. We know that God chose Israel, but in the New Testament, Ephesians 1, we're told that God chose us before the foundation of the world. You know what he chose us to be? Holy and blameless before him. Why? Because God wanted a relationship with us, and we had to be holy and blameless to have a relationship with a holy and blameless God. We're also told in that section of Scripture that we're adopted into God's family. God wanted us to be part of his family. We're indeed the people of promise, a unique people. Think about it. We have a unique relationship with the Creator that is different than any other relationship in the universe. And God wanted that because he wanted to be our God and we to be his people. Special people. One of the things that comes to mind from time to time for me is that, you know, I know Jesus from Colossians 1 is creator, I also know from Colossians 1 that he sustains the universe now. He's sovereign over all the nations. And yet, he knows the numbers of hairs on my head. He knows when I'm hurting. He knows when I'm doubting. He knows when I need his arms wrapped around me. It causes me to worship. Our God is so big, so infinite, and yet he cares about his people, the intimate details in their life. Briefly, timing of the new covenant. We've heard the terms. The terms were laid out about 580 B.C. Jesus signed the deal, signed the contract at his death. Here's what Jesus said at the Last Supper. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
deal is signed. The blood of Jesus. Let me take a sidebar there. We know from this series that a covenant was made with the cutting of an animal. And then they walked through the center. The Abrahamic covenant was so important that three animals were sacrificed. A heifer, a goat, and a ram. The new covenant. So important. The sacrifice of the Son of God. Abrahamic covenant's important. But we, new covenant people, was the sacrifice of our Lord. Hmm. New covenant is so much more important than even the Abrahamic that Jesus paid for it with his blood. So the contract signed. When do we take possession? At the second coming of Jesus. Now if that's a house you're buying, that's a long time to wait. But that's what God's going to do at the second coming of Christ. All these promises will be fulfilled. Amen is right. Jesus returns. He sets up his millennial kingdom. Israel repents. God pours out the blessings upon Israel. And they look upon the one they pierced and will mourn. So, big question. Where does the church fit in? We as the church don't show up until after Jesus' death. And so, how's this new covenant play into us? Why don't you turn to Galatians 3. I was kind of struggling with this a couple weeks ago, thinking... You know, where do I go to put all the pieces together on how we fit in? And God said, I've laid it out for you, Dave. Just go to Galatians. So go to Galatians 3. And I want to just look at some of these verses. We'll, we'll uh, jump around a little bit. In verse 6 of Galatians 3, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So Abraham's an old man, and he has no sons, no heirs. And so he's before God saying, well, what about, I think it's his nephew, what about this guy? God says, no. God says, Abraham, look up into the sky. See the stars? Count them if you can. He says, your descendants are going to be like those stars in number. And it says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's how Abraham came into covenant relationship with God. It was by believing. And so that's where Paul starts here and he's about to tell us about the church. Therefore, verse 7, 
be sure that are those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Remember now, he's talking to Gentiles here. He says it's those who are of faith that belong to Abraham's family. Doesn't have to do with bloodline. It has to do with faith. If you believe, you're a son of Abraham, he says. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Us, right? The scriptures knew, they proclaimed, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel, the good news, came to Abraham long before Jesus is on the scene. And here's the promise of the gospel. All the nations will be blessed in you. Not just Israel. All the nations. Because everybody that believes is in Abraham's family. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. We enter into the blessings of Abraham. The covenant God made with Abraham because of faith. Look down in verse 14. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Why? So that we would receive the promise of that Holy Spirit through faith. That new covenant. That promise wasn't in the Abrahamic covenant. It was in the new covenant. Jump down to 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. We entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ. We know from Romans 6 that we were plunged into his death that we share in the resurrection because of our oneness, our union with Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, he says, if, for if inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. He's trying to make an argument here that God's covenants are through the promises that God gave. But here's the good news. For if the inheritance, the inheritance, there's an inheritance coming, right? When Jesus comes back, that's the inheritance that we're going to enter into that becomes ours. We're going to reign with Jesus during that millennial day. Romans talks about us being grafted into the vine. 
Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. We're grafted in with Israel to the same vine, the roots being Jesus. Application, so what? I'm going to give you a very similar application to one that Pat gave us two or three weeks ago. And I'll tell you why I'm doing that. 45 years on and off as an elder in this church. And I see the most consistent problem among believers at Moraine, and I think probably around the world, is that they are new covenant people living under old covenant terms. They are acting like Israel. Tell us what to do, and we'll do it. You're in Galatians 3. There was a similar problem in Galatia. Paul came and preached the gospel, mostly Gentiles, and they got saved, and they formed churches. And then some people came in behind Paul. They were called the Judaizers. They were Jews. And they came in, and they said, well, you got to keep the Jewish rituals and the Jewish rules if you're going to be a Christian. And so Paul's letter, the whole letter, is really speaking against those Judaizers. But we're, here's what he says in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, you unwise Galatians, who has bewitched you? Interesting word. It means to um, bring evil about by charming you. Okay? So they came in, and I'm, I'm guessing their message is something like this. Oh, you guys are Christian. Yeah, that's great. That Jesus is good. But you want to be a super Christian? Follow these rules. Follow these rules. Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This isn't about you, okay? This is about Jesus being crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Did you do something to get the Spirit? Did you work out something to get this Spirit? Or did it come by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, unwise? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by flesh? You got saved by faith. What are you doing today, Moraine, to make yourself Make yourself. See, there. I even said it. How do we become holy? How do we become more mature in Christ? It's not by what I said. It's not by me doing. It's by trusting the Spirit to do things in me, to cause me to obey 
It's not about our works. It's about the Spirit of God working in us. Am I, Pastor Gary likes to use this word, am I willing to yield my situation, my decisions to the Spirit of God? Or am I going to take it upon myself to work it out myself? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain? He's saying, the things you're trying to produce are vain. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do a little. Is that what he said? No. He said, you can do nothing. Zero. It's what the Spirit accomplishes in our life. Second application, real quick. Fall down and worship. And we're going we're, we're gonna to sing some songs that I hope will cause you to worship. But you know, worship is more than singing songs. Romans 12 says this, I urge you, brother, I urge you, I plead with you by the mercies of God, present. You want to worship? It starts with presentation. God, here I am. Empty, a vessel, willing to be used by you. Present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice. Right? We're giving ourselves away as a sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual service of worship. That's where worship begins, with presentation. Father, thank you for the new covenant. God, thank you that we're new covenant people. God, the blessings. Peter said, you have given us everything we need for life and for godliness. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We are indeed a people of promise. And God, we want to worship you because you've made it so. It's your doing and not our doing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.